Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Film House, the film podcast brought to you by Elise and I on the Funhouse channel, where we talk about the latest and greatest hot drops of the week in the film industry. Nothing's come out for about a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's untrue because we have watched movies that have released digitally on demand, James. Mm-hmm, but I'm a wild card. You so, are. but there's, but generally though, you know, we do reviews and stuff like that. But in this case, we, you know, we've played a lot of fun and games. We actually do have some cool news stories. It feels like things have been picking up again. Yeah. Like we're ramping up. Someone knows something. Someone in the film industry knows something, and they say that the world is going to start getting back to normal. They really want the world to get back to normal. And so there's like news stories. You can see the marketing machine kind of turning up. So on this week, uh, this week's episode, we're going to be talking about some of that marketing ramping up for uh, uh, Justice League. Mm -hmm. The real Justice League. The Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut. The Nightmare The Nightmare, including Cut. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit about Elise's favorite Danny DeVito movie (laughs) uh, in which he stars as a twin. I won't spoil which one. I don't know what my favorite Danny DeVito movie is, actually. Matilda. Um, I don't know that it's that. And then and then we also want to take some time and jump into the uh, Golden Globes because the Golden Globes nominees were announced. And so uh, it's a it's a weird season because normally everyone's like, aha, and they think, but no one, everyone saw everything on their own time. And like you mentioned, in like streaming platforms all over the Internet. So there's a lot of stuff oh, we haven't even seen. And but. of course, so much just had to get punted. So it's mm-hmm. a really, really weird awards landscape mm-hmm. right now. I don't know if you saw like the SAG nominees came out. There no, was, I haven't. Was, I haven't looked SAG. through the SAG nominees. Yeah. I was just looking through the Golden Globes and I was like, hmm. Those might be even weirder than the Golden Didn't Globes. Didn't know that was a movie. Um, it's the, like maybe the one real downside to streaming platforms managing the entire release <laughs> schedule of movies is that some things just fly under the radar and they can be really good, but you might not see them because you don't want to pay an extra $8 a month. Yeah, I will say the Snyder Cut has probably gotten the most press over mm-hmm. the last six months and, than and, any any movie has. And justifiably so, and we're going to give it that press. But first, I want to jump in and we can just recap kind of what we've been watching. Sure. You want to start there? Yeah. Um, so not all movies, but we do have at least, uh, one movie that is worth mentioning. Color Out of Space. Yeah, the Nicolas Cage movie. Mm-hmm, the Nicolas Cage movie, which everyone was like, oh, there's, it seems like every once in a while it's like, Nicolas Cage is back. But I think, I think maybe you mentioned it while you're we watching it. It just, it just says yes to everything. So the odds of him, like, hitting a, a ground ball, like, and getting on base is is higher than maybe some other actors. Yeah, it's the swings and a miss that you don't hear about mm-hmm. too, which he's doing. Yeah, um, and I think there's a lot of high concept, wacky directors who are reaching out to him and like giving him weird things. So there's like the thing that looks like Five Nights at Freddy's that mm-hmm. he's going to be in, and people are like, ooh, but is it going to be good? We don't know. Um, but Color Out of Space. Um, this movie was hyped us to hyped up to us pretty heavily by our own Funhouse's own Ryan Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a big fan of this. Uh, it's directed by Richard Stanley, who you may know is the guy who snuck back onto the set of the Island of Doctor Moreau. <laughs> yeah, was the story that he was originally the director of that film and then got kicked off? Yeah, he was originally the director of that film after having done some really weird. Um, culty type, you know, sci-fi horror stuff. And, um, and then, but 
he got screwed really hard trying to make that movie because the studio wanted it to be something that it wasn't necessarily. And he was kind of like a pretty young and weirdo director. And then I'm pretty sure a hurricane destroyed the set. And then Marlon Brando Wait, showed really? up and it was a whole thing. Um, and so he is like promising film career got cut relatively short. Oh, you got There's, found a picture yeah, there. Him and Nick Cage. Great. <laughs> can't tell who is whom out of focus um, um but yeah so anyway the color out of space was kind of like his return which is weird because it's like two decades later mm-hmm. uh and it's a weird movie uh, uh visually it might be a movie that thinks it's more cerebral than it actually is mm-hmm. it has some moments in it that are haunting and will last with me forever yes mostly nicholas cage's dialogue delivery no i'm just kidding there is there is a part in the movie that Mm -hmm. is like just hair you know harrowing to watch yeah um but there's some of it that actually looks like quite beautiful it is yeah you know it it reminded me of um what's that natalie portman movie and the woman shouts it at the end that armageddon but (laughs) oh i read them all yeah authority i can remember all the other books um anyway that hell no 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 let me go i'm gonna look at my bookshelf all right (laughs) i'm not gonna gonna google it It's the movie when Natalie Portman goes into the prism world and then there's a bear that sounds like a woman. Annihilation. Annihilation. And at the end, the woman goes, Annihilation! Um, But uh, it it was a... that It had like a visual style like that. Like times 10. Which which is really good because, like you mentioned, I thought the movie was okay. I knew it was going to be weird because Ryan liked it. (laughs) And he doesn't really have, he doesn't really like it pick out things that are tall. things about it. There's some of the writing, specifically some dialogue and delivery of the dialogue that is a bit hokey. And there were parts where you and I like laughed out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's, so the pr- soft premise is basically that there's this family that's already kind of weird living in a farmland, like the mountainous countryside of this small town and then something comes out of space and lands in their backyard and basically starts like corrupting the whole area. Mm-hmm. Like it's like um, this is the f- a movie about the first 12 hours of an alien invasion that probably spans off into yeah. something much greater. I think it's worth watching. It's definitely worth watching. We watched um, the uh, God, what's that other movie? It, it, the whole world is a blur, kind of like the prisms in Annihilation. Um but the Cronenberg movie that we watched. Oh, Possessor. Possessor. Everyone set up Possessor as being like, oh, it's so Cronenberg. It's so Cronenberg. I thought this movie well, was a little bit. the son of Cronenberg. Yeah, I know. But like, like everyone said, this movie felt like it had more of that kind of like what body I think horror. of with Cronenberg and body horror and stuff. And then Nick, Nick Cage is good. I think sometimes people go, Nick Cage is here. And then they just let him go run wild. And it's, it's entertaining in some scenes, and in other scenes you're like, that's weird. We've also been watching, or recently finished watching, the fourth season of Search Party, mm-hmm. uh, which is Aaliyah Shawkat and... Uh, Ron Livingston. <laughs> Ron Livingston. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like, it's, it's like millennial horror, I guess. Um, yeah, well, you've been with this show for since the beginning. Which... Is, is a long time now for four seasons of a show to come out because I think it first came out in 2016. 
Yeah, which is, I guess, a little bit more than one a year, or, or a little bit less than one a year. But this show it, is paced, has been paced really weird. Yeah, it was a show that aired on TBS, and then it got taken to HBO Max, so mm-hmm. then it kind of got, like, you know, it got delayed. Some mm-hmm. of the seasons got pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's a show that you watch the initial season, and you think, well, where can they take the second season? And somehow they, they've been reinventing and flipping the the narrative each season in mm-hmm. a way that feels really satisfying and in a way where like you think that a character has reached their pinnacle of growth or decay mm-hmm. you know whichever way you want to look at it, at it and then the next season they somehow figure out a way mm-hmm. to to flip it again yeah it's great great show but this season i will say made me feel so unsettled oh yeah it's it's the perfect sh- if you hate millennials <laughs> and or are a millennial it's like the perfect show for you because it is it's a show that acknowledges the complete self-obsession self yeah self-obsession of a specific generation and like you know not necessarily in a critical way because it's clearly made by people who are of that generation it's dark and it's funny and it's (laughs) it's like uh some some episodes like you feel like you need a shower after but Hey. Yeah, especially this season, especially kind of like four. this podcast. Um, <laughs> this podcast. We also have been watching the new season of Big Mouth, mm-hmm. which I feel like we held off on because I love that show, and yeah. I just didn't. I didn't want it to start because I didn't want it to end. Yeah. Um, which I think maybe just for us personally is getting out of hand a little bit because there's stuff like Ted Lasso, which we still haven't finished because you don't want it to s- end. We started it like right when it came out, but yeah, have been. Yeah, cruising but, with it. But I'm ready. I just want to. I'm ready well, to finish can. it. And then, but you're like, you're like, well, I'm just gonna take the chip chocolate chips out of the cookie and eat the little chips first. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Big Mouth, great show. We've probably talked about it before in the past. Animated animated show from Nick Nick Kroll, um, and uh, it deals with puberty in probably the most comprehensive way any in, show in your has face ever way and honest and. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Close. Light, lots of close-ups of a vagina spitting Cart- out yeah. period blood. All cartoons, um, so it's fine. But the good thing is that it has, it ha- generally has a lesson. And I said this the last time we talked about this show, and I stand by it even more so, is that I think there's a lot of things that young people, uh, tweens and teens and what have you, uh, deal with that they don't understand that how or why they're dealing with those things at yeah. the time and society or their parents tiptoe around it you tiptoe around it you just don't know how to put it in those terms we figured out like sesame street is for like really young kids like how do we put these things in a language that they'll understand that's still entertainment big mouth is like that for adolescents except i mean i bet a lot people would argue that the subject matter is too mature except it's it's the that's the problem i think yeah. with that age group is where these kids are going through these things that are very mature mm-hmm. but then no one wants to speak to them in a way that seems like it's too mature for them it's like this weird yeah you know conflict so, but when you're watching it as an adult you get the you get the combination of going like oh my gosh this is really cathartic also i can laugh at this yeah but I'm sure if you were 13 and you watched it, you might feel less alone or less like, oh my God, my mm-hmm. body is weird and yeah. this is weird. So, but, uh, I don't but know yeah. how you reconcile that. I don't know how you reconcile it either, but it's a really great show. We've kind of been burning through that one too. Um, another thing that I want to shout out, we've been watching Seinfeld. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, moving on. Uh, Miracle Workers. Yeah. So Elise, this is, is, I mean, I think, 
I'm just gonna go ahead and credit you for all no, of these. I'm gonna credit to Zach Anner for Miracle Workers because I had it. I had it in my queue, mm-hmm. and I but I wasn't watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and I, I probably wouldn't have started watching it. But then Zach was like, "You would probably like this show a lot," which is weird because it's like his sense of humor. It's very much Zach's like sense if of you humor. read Zach's writing, like mm-hmm. it feels like Zach writing, which is weird. A weird thing to say to someone that I think you'd like this because it's like me. And it's a Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi vehicle. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, and Geraldine Vis- Viswanathan. I'm sorry, I butchered her name. She is like the lead in it too. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about this show is that. Each season is a, is an anthology story, mm-hmm. or the the show is an anthology. So each season is a respective story. So the first season, uh, I don't without giving too much away, it takes place in heaven, and you're you're following these these two angels, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. But it's kind of I think it's the kind miracle of miracle workers. Yes, yeah, so you're following that? these miracle workers that they perform miracles. But I I really like the the vision of the afterlife this show does mm. in the first season because the idea is that you die and then but then you go to heaven and you get a job oh, okay basically and then there's god who's played by steve buscemi which is like a sure. fantastic yeah. steve buscemi part but the second season then takes you to the dark ages it's medieval and it's a whole other story with new characters which and is, actors it's interesting i i curious if that was always the intention from the start i mean i guess it must have been but like because you, I didn't watch the first season with you. You're like, I'm going to watch the show Miracle Workers. It's recommended by Zach. And I went, hard pass. <laughs> um, but you you just started watching it. And then I would see, you know, it would be on or whatever. And mm-hmm. then I would go about my business. And then you were like, hey, do you want to, I'm going to watch season two of Miracle Workers. Do you want to watch it with me? And I, I was like, well, no, because I didn't watch the first season with you. And then you're like, aha. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They start over. All new characters, new setting, a whole new premise. Um which I think, man, just from a creative standpoint, not that anyone wants my writing or creativity I or performance, that, yeah. but I just, that's the, that's the ticket, man. That's the, th- imagine you get a show that you can do what you do. You're like, oh, we're going to do 10 episodes. Then we can start over with whatever we want. And, and you can recast everybody as new characters. Like to me, that just feels like playing. That's just like playing pretend every single season and you don't have to get into the the problem of figuring out how to tell a story across 50 episodes for five years you Mm -hmm. just kind of do the one episode my personal theory on it because i've thought about this is Mm -hmm. that they you know it was this this team writer director whatever doing the first season and it was probably just meant to be a mini series then did so well or they enjoyed this cast so much and, Mm -hmm. and said hey we can do another story that's my personal theory. Probably way off, but... Well, if you are have intimate knowledge of how Miracle <laughs> Workers came about... Let us know. Let us know. Hit us up in the comments. Um, okay. You ready to jump in the meat potatoes? That's the only things we've really been watching. I can't... Oh, oh. I watched Streetcar Named Desire for the first time. Anyway. Um, the, the Snyder Cut... The only movie being currently marketed, the Snyder Cut, despite the fact <laughs> that it is coming to HBO Max, full disclosure, we work for Rooster Teeth, HBO Max, uh, we are subsidiary of Warner Brothers, makes HBO Max. That being said, our opinions are all our own. Mm-hmm. This appears to be the only movie. It They're treating it like this movie is going to save theaters. You ha- We haven't seen a single thing about Falcon and Winter Soldier. 
Okay. Yeah. There's no, no, no trailer. No, no one's yeah. talking about it. Disney's doing no marketing, but the Snyder cut uh-huh. is just, it comes out, I think mid March uh-huh. and it's, it's been in the conversation it, for six months. Now. It's just interesting. Cause we've seen a shift of like, you know, I mean, HBO max, especially if you've seen a shift of taking these movies that can eat, we're going to be big blockbuster things in, in, theaters everywhere and try and make all this money in theaters and then shift that to streaming and how people have kind of pivoted the marketing but none of them have put the investment time in us they're really banking on the snyder cut of justice league being a big thing and while i am excited i still don't know how you fix like here's the problem james you can be as cynical as you want about it but that's what i'm saying is we can we can be we can be questioning we can voice these concerns but i'm excited Mm -hmm. you're excited i am excited excited. i'm excited to see it i'm so intrigued it's working like whatever it's doing is working and the you know they they as i don't know if you saw this but Zack snyder on his vero account because he's still wholly bought into vero and loves it yep Um, me too i'm on vero (laughs) <laughs> follow he, me on vero he shared a, a picture of um jared leto joker yeah I, yep uh which is a blurred photo it's a, it's a card <laughs> and then it's yeah he's he's got medical gloves on he looks like he might have a face mask he's around him. holding a joker card and he he does appear and again very very out of focus but he does appear to be a far cry from the joker yes. we saw in Suicide Squad. Hair looks long and stringy. Almost like a recessed hairline. A little more Heath stringy. Ledger. Do we, uh, but and also, I guess we don't even know the timeline of things, but like, it does seem like he has seen some shit. He's not partying and whatever. And I am here for it. <laughs> I've said, I've said very openly in the past that I think Suicide Squad is one of the worst movies ever put to screen. Um, and I think it's a travesty that it made as much money that it, that it does. And I'm grateful for the fact that we're getting a new one that doesn't acknowledge the original at all. I also think Jared Leto's interpretation of the Joker, I, more so the movie's interpretation of the Joker, is one of the worst Jokers I've ever seen ever. And... I never thought it was Jared Leto's fault necessarily. He's a great actor. And he really gets into roles and it looks like he like you give him the material like all right it's gonna say damaged on his forehead he's like he's gonna be like great it says damaged on my forehead but wasn't he kind of destructive on set sending his co-stars weird stuff and things no the joker was okay all right uh the thing that is also getting buzz is the focus on nightmare that's Mm -hmm. nightmare with a k uh which is uh, something that Zack snyder had planned to focus on in his original film Mm -hmm. Uh, but then Joss Whedon avoided. Mm-hmm. And I don't know too much about Nightmare Batman, you know. Like the ti- Nightmare timeline. Yeah. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know either. So, you know, I'm sure there's better places. Let's maybe look it they'll, up. Maybe they'll talk about it on the Real Canon uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> promote John Reisinger's <laughs> podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know too much about it. I mean, when they had the dream... A new episode oh. tomorrow. There's a uh, when they had the uh, uh, dream sequence, the nightmare dream sequence from Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. It felt very much like 
I mean, it was a send up of a lot of things. All of Zack Snyder's stuff has been like, I'm just going to pull from all of my favorite different comic panels and then throw that together into a movie, which is probably why the movies make really great trailers, but then feel kind of mishmash thrown together stuff narratively in the actual movie itself. But the uh, nightmare send up felt like, you know, you had Red Sun style Batman fighting an evil Superman, but wasn't necessarily an evil Russian Superman. It was just kind of like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, or what was it? Uh, it almost felt like then they were setting up for a fight, kind of Dark Knight Returns. Like, so they had like a bunch of different things going on. So I don't know the specifics of the nightmare timeline. Uh yeah, the dystopian future imagines a world where big bad dark side succeeds in taking over the earth and Superman becomes a tyrant after the death of Lois Lane. Okay, all right. Meanwhile, Batman does what he can to fight back. So yeah, they showed us in, is it in Batman versus Superman where they show that there's this, the sequence in the desert, the dream sequence, mm -hmm. yeah. and then Superman's like a servant to Apocalypse or whatever. It doesn't necessarily, well, not, apocalypse, not Apocalypse, but like, yeah, he... He's like people are working for Superman, and then at the like, I feel like at the very end of it, it pulls out and reveals that Darkseid's flying monsters are all there. But then when Justice League came out, they kind of negated a lot of that. Joss Whedon it, just went because apparently he, Zack Snyder was going to do more of Injustice League, and Joss Whedon was like, no, and he yeah. swatted it down like a cat. What? Because a lot of what Zack Snyder does is he puts stuff in his movies that ensures that he has to be brought back for the next <laughs> one. Um, it's very smart. It's like leaving It's like leaving a coat behind yeah. <laughs> at someone's house so you know you have to go pick it up. Um, but it felt like it got pivoted by Joss Whedon in Justice League to be like, oh no, like it's more of a Steppenwolf, you know, it was just, a, we're just warning about Steppenwolf fight kind of happening. Whereas if you watch Batman v Superman, Ben Affleck has a dream. Yeah. But then is it a dream? Because as soon as he wakes up, Flash is reaching out to him from another dimension, warning him of like what's to come. And then they didn't follow through. You remember him. a lot about Batman v Superman. I watched it a lot. I watched it a lot. <laughs> the director's cut and the theatrical version. Again, I'm a Snyder, I'm a Snyder head. Snyderhead, you can call me Snyderhead. Um, I just think I just think it's such a weird, weird thing. The idea of getting super hyped for the, this Justice League movie. I don't know how much they filmed for, but I just like we we watched uh, Two Towers, the extended edition of Two Towers, and we were trying to think about what the theatrical version of that movie was even like because we've spent so much time watching the extended. And thinking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, well, like, I guess they just don't have this part. They don't have that part. But to intrinsically have changed what Two Towers is after the fact seems really difficult. It, it's part of me almost wants to watch the original Justice League. We're going to. In it, Are we? I think we should. Okay. Or we do it the other way. We watch. We go in with a blank slate. We watch new Justice League and then we go back and we try and f we watch I don't know the if I'll have one. the enthusiasm after we'll take six back. months well, it'll be six months hiatus between the two well um but yeah so speaking it, of hiatuses speaking of hiatus we're gonna take a hiatus real quick to hit you with some ad reads thanks for the toss James and Elise this episode is brought to you by oh wait there's no ad read this is a freebie episode you guys just get to watch this however you want to so I won't take up too much of your time let's get back to the show and we're back. Elise 
There's another hiatus you wanted to mention, <laughs> I believe, before an, that other hiatus. Another famous hiatus, mm-hmm. which is the Twins franchise. Because <laughs> you, you know, thought they, we were just joking. In 1988, Danny mm-hmm. DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger starred in was it Ivan Reitman's Twins? Did he do Twins? Sounds about right. Um, and made a ton of money. It was a big success, and people said, "Okay." They drive a car on two wheels at one point. <laughs> they said this franchise is is going to be buco bucks. Right, they said they knew back then it was going to be a franchise. I think, I think some people knew. I think they said there's more knew. story to be told. I think here. some people knew whether okay. they said it or not. But then you know, of course, so we're waiting, we're waiting decades, and then in 2012 comes out. There's mm-hmm. a script in development. We're getting a sequel. Mm-hmm. Two twins, you know, twins it's called triplets. Well, that's that's what they were saying, tentatively oh. titled triplets, because in 2017 Schwarzenegger said. <laughs> I took the notes. It does say that. <laughs> it does. I was just making a joke. Schwarzenegger said it was going to be tri- triplets and that Eddie Murphy was in negoti- negotiations to play the third long lost sibling. Wow. Blessed. But then, you know, where has that been at? Because Eddie Murphy's been fi- focused on coming to Nutty America. Professor. Oh. <laughs> He's directed all his efforts behind that uh-huh. movie. Yeah. But Danny DeVito recently, he said, don't worry. It's still in development. Still coming. Danny DeVito. Okay, so that's the news story. That Danny DeVito <laughs> said the movie is still. No one has formally thrown it in the trash yet. He said, "Yes, yeah, we're working on it. It's been a while, I know, but we're developing the screenplay right now." It's like a really defensive. <laughs> Who um, asked him this question? I mean, Danny DeVito's seventy six. Yeah. So. I mean, Arnold's old too. How tall do you think Arnold Schwarzenegger is? Six. Apparently, he's six, five ten. What? Apparently he's not as tall as you think he is. Google Arnold Schwarzenegger height. This is a weird show. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh my god, I got his I spelled his last name correctly first try. But you didn't add the word height at the, at the end. 6'2". So I don't know where don't you know guys, that. that's what I basically exactly said. I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Stallone five ten. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. So what was the point of that? The point of this story is, I mean, can't you even make twins? Would twins be seen as, you know, in 2021 kind of being a mockery of like, you know. Twins? Because obviously the joke of twins is like, he's a big guy. He's a small guy. Mm-hmm. You Different. know. And then if they're roping in Eddie Murphy to play the third long-lost black brother, mm-hmm. like, is that even more than maybe is? I think if there's anything the world needs, if we're trying to get people back in theaters, we need big blockbuster franchises. And I, when I think blockbuster franchise, I think twins. And so <laughs> I we if we can get this film going, it would be great. You know, I'm not one for just pure nostalgia send-ups. But I do think that is, we get the nostalgia, we get to see Danny, we get to see Arnold back together, and we throw in Eddie Murphy. He's going to inject that energy into it. I think think this would be a great way to kind of, like, send off this franchise that we have all loved so much. (laughs) Sounds good. I just love, I just love that, there you go, Danny! What's going on with the triplets movie? He's like, it's <laughs> yeah, in it's development. Coming. Like, what are you going to say? We gave up. <laughs> no, we gave up. I have tons of things that are in development. Ask True. me about them. Um, okay, so we've covered twins. We've covered Zack Snyder. <laughs> That's about it. So so let's now let's talk about movies that are actually going to win awards. Um, 
the Golden Globes nominations. Uh, Golden Globes are, what is it, the Foreign Press Association, I believe. Uh, they are kind of a lead-in to the Academy Awards. People always see them as like, oh, the Academy Awards are the big one, but this is like Golden Globes are like the lead-in. It gets, it tastes... Yeah, that's why I don't put money on the Globes. Never put your money on the Globes because that's just a test bed for uh, what's going to happen at uh, in the Academy Awards. But they released their nominees, and it's a weird year, obviously. This is going to be one of the weirdest awards shows, and I'm glad they're not skipping it all together. But um, we wanted to talk through some of them and basically predict who we think are going to win some of these major categories, knowing that we've mostly been watching Seinfeld and <laughs> haven't seen most of these films. We've seen some. We've seen some. Okay, so yeah. should we start with the best picture Let's categories? start at the top. That's what All people right. do the opposite of what they would do at the show. Okay, best picture drama. The nominees are The Father, mm-hmm. Mank, mm-hmm. Nomadland. Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of Chicago 7. I've seen two of these. We I've seen two. We started Mank, and we got 10 minutes in, and I think you fell asleep. True, true, true. true. I, I've seen Promising Young Woman I, and The Trial of Chicago 7. And I have a father. The father. So there's I, that. I do want to see, you know, I want to see the rest of these. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things at play. I think, uh, you know, you always consider the political climate of things, and in that case, The Trial of the Chicago 7, I think, is a very relevant movie yeah. to today. So is Promising Young Woman. Really. Promising, Yeah, Promising Young Woman is as well, but so it's is not Mank. as political. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, but the thing about Mank is it's a movie, it's an unnecessarily black and white movie. Well, that's a little harsh, but it's a black and white movie set ta- talking about the world of Hollywood. Oh, yes. And we know how much Hollywood loves movies that are about Hollywood. So that probably gives it an edge. I don't know anything about The Father or Nomadland. Um, so. I do think The Trial of the Chicago 7 being a Netflix release might diminish it in some people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As being less, yeah. you know. It is great, though. I, of these movies, like of the two I've seen. Mm-hmm. Go on. I, I'm still thinking about Promising Young Woman a lot. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be The Father. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say Mank. I'm, I'm gonna go Nomadland. Okay, what's Nomadland about? Cat uh, Francis McDormand. I almost called her Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> All right. All right. Next. So then, the interesting thing about the Golden Globes is that they have different qualifications for what good movies can be, um, and so they have musical comedy mixed in. I don't know. I don't know who decided that that was a different category, but like. These are ones that take themselves seriously, oh, and these are ones that don't. They're like, hey, take the goofiest shit and throw it in here. This is wild. Yeah. This, this, <laughs> this year's category for, or nominees for Best mm-hmm. Musical Comedy category. So we have Borat, Borat, subsequent movie, film, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then Hamilton. Uh, then we have something called Music, which I haven't heard of. It's Sia. Oh, she made a movie? No, she, uh, is this just a concert that they filmed? No, I've heard about it, but Sia um, recently did some pretty... Uh, she's problematic lately. Okay, well, I'm not voting for it. Uh, Palm Springs and uh, The Prom. I can't believe. The Prom. So out of this, we have... I've seen three, I've and seen- then <laughs> you watched some of The Prom. Oh, man, I've, I've tried at least three times to put on The Prom, mm-hmm. and and I 
just can't. And every single time you put it on, I go, why are you watching this? <laughs> um, so I love that it's here. Great for it, for getting nominated. Truly a blessed year. Where is Sonic, by the way? No Sonic? Wasn't that supposed to be the big thing? Jim Carrey like, didn't even get a nomination. Sonic is going to win awards this year. Um, first things first, I think Ham- Hamilton should be out. Shouldn't count. And it's nominated a lot. And I don't think, I think it shows the desperation that we're in. I don't think Hamilton, something that is just a filmed version of a Broadway show, shouldn't count as a movie. That's been a point of controversy because it's not eligible for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, the Oscar, the uh, the Academy Awards have some verbiage in, in their guidelines that works that are essentially promotional or instructional are not eligible, nor works that are essentially unfiltered records of performances. Yes. Which the Golden Globes, I don't believe, have. Obviously, if they're nominating it. It just, it seems like a waste to nominate it because it it already has awards for which, what its skill sets are pertaining to. I think that the way they recorded the performance of Hamilton for that Disney Plus premiere was really good. But it was just showing me the musical that you would see on stage. It, it didn't use any of the more advanced or more interesting techniques of film to make it stand out as a film. So I think it's kind of lame that it's nominated here. Um, and then later on, especially when it comes to performances too, I think that's really lame too. Like those, we have awards for what they did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will not. See ya, you're out. Hamilton, you're out. Which leaves basically... <laughs> the prom palm springs which i really enjoyed and borat i'm gonna have to go borat on this one i i would like borat to get it for mm-hmm. some reason i have this feeling that it's not gonna be borat though i think it's gonna be hamilton because i think, I think people don't know what the definition of a movie is. i think it might be hamilton <laughs> or it could even be palm springs i mean palm springs is fun i i, re- I did really enjoy palm springs i had a fun time watching it but palm springs winning a golden globe would be wild it would be wild especially when you think about the fact when Palm Springs came out, we did a po- whole podcast on uh, on Lonely Island and some of their other other movies. I know that this isn't a full on Lonely Island movie, but um, and if you, f- yeah, if you told me Popstar deserved a Golden Globe, I would say yes. The fact that Popstar didn't win anything or be nominated for its music or whatever is like a crime against humanity. So um, okay, so should we do? Are we going to do best... Is this best actress in a drama? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Best actress in a motion picture drama. You want to go ahead? Uh, Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to see that? Andrew Day, United States versus Billie Holiday. Haven't seen that yet. Didn't know that that was a movie that existed. Mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. Haven't seen that. <laughs> Frances McDormand, No Land. Haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. Have seen that. Have seen that. Uh, and thought she was exceptional in it. I can't make... A, a, a worthy appraisal. Here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say Andra Day, United States versus uh, Billy Holiday because it is based on a historical figure, and in a lot of cases, um, I don't know if she plays the titular Billy Holiday in that film. Um, either she plays that or United the United States, <laughs> but. If she does play Billie Holiday, then I think she will win. Viola Davis is always fantastic. Always fantastic. Always fantastic. I, I think she, having not seen the movie, 
probably deserves it. Frances McDormand is always good, and I feel like they, they're going to want to really give it to her because that's what they're accustomed to, is giving awards to Frances McDormand. They love it. But um, I'd be happy if Carrie Mulligan got it. The one disappointment that I got from this was that Julia Garner, who you know from Ozark, mm-hmm. um, the film The Assistant that mm-hmm. she starred in, uh, she was like ex- she was excellent in that. I thought for sure she would get a nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Best Actor, Motion Picture Drama. We got Riz Ahmed from The Sound of Metal, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Anthony Hopkins the from father. The Father, <laughs> Gary Oldman Monk. Uh, from, from Monk, the adaptation of the TV show. Tahar and, Rahim. Yeah, Tahar Rahim. The Mauritanian. The Mauritanian. Um, so, again, I've only seen Sound of Metal. And I was pretty blown away. Mm-hmm. by Riz Ahmed's performance. Um, I think it's up there with some of his other stronger performances like Venom. Um, but but people are saying this might finally be Anthony Hopkins' year. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing Anthony Hopkins finally deserves is recognition for his acting. Um, Chadwick Boseman is fantastic in pretty much everything I've ever seen him in. Um, and of course, it would be posthumous. So like, there's there's that aspect to it a great memoriam for him in a lot of ways. I haven't seen this film, but there's never been something that I've seen Chadwick Boseman in where I'm not like, Oh my gosh, like stellar performance. Gary Oldman as always. I mean, these are some Titans, um, swinging away at it. So I, I honestly, it's not about being disappointed or whatever. I'm going to say Riz Ahmed just because I was watching that film going like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is a powerhouse performance, and I and I kind of loved every second of watching him on screen. Sometimes there's movies that are like depressing, and you're like, ugh. Like I think of like Adrian Brody and the the pianist, where I'm like, well, the movie is more depressing than maybe his performance pulled me in. But watching Riz Ahmed in that film, I just I wanted to just follow him. I wanted to follow him and his story. And when it was ending, I was like, no, give me more of him. Um, so that to me is a real testament to a charismatic uh, performance. I guess it's going to be Gary Oldman. Probably going to Gary. <laughs> uh, uh, for the support, uh, best actress, Maria Bakalova from Borat. Man, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Where did she come from? Kate Hudson was in Music. Michelle Pfeiffer, French Exit. Haven't heard of that. Rosamund Pike I, was in I Care a Lot. Also. I wish they would put parentheses what streaming platform this movie was on (laughs) or what country it released in, because I feel like, I don't know. Anya Taylor-Joy for Emma, Mm -hmm. which I've wanted to watch, but... I always go, let's just watch Clueless. Mm -hmm. You know? If we're going to watch it, let's watch Clueless. Um, Again, the whole joke of this is that we shouldn't be weighing in on any of this. Because we have no no qualifications. I hope Maria gets it, though. I just think she stole that movie. Yeah. When we watched that movie the whole time, I was thinking, like, the trailer makes you go, uh-oh, Bora has a daughter. And so, but then you watch them together, and you're like, oh, my gosh, no, just give me more scenes with her. She's fantastic. Like, so great. Best best actor in a motion picture, musical or comedy, Sasha mm-hmm. Baron Cohen for Borat, James Corden for The Prom, yeesh. Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, Dev Patel for Personal History of David Copperfield, mm-hmm. and Andy Samberg for Palm Springs. All of these, this is the only one, with the exception of the entirety of the prom, <laughs> yeah, that we have seen. Yeah. This is the only category. And, and I feel like we can already make an assumption on... It's, it's gonna go to James Corden. 
<laughs> as a as recompense for his his uh, work in cats. I would love if I I don't know. I mean, Dev Patel is like super charming and fun and wonderful in mm-hmm. Personal History of David Copperfield. I would love if that movie got some recognition in some way. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is very magical. Yeah. Um, but again, Buster Jones is such an <laughs> iconic role. Um, yeah, I don't know that. I don't. I'd say. Give it to anyone but James Corden. I, I mean, I and again, I'm I'm removing Lin Manuel Miranda from it just on a technicality. Give him the Tony. Give him the Tony. Didn't he already get it? Um, <laughs> all right, best supporting actress for a motion picture. We'll do a couple more of these. Um, <laughs> Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, which I only heard from people wasn't good. <laughs> um, I haven't seen myself. Olivia Coleman. Coleman. Is it always? Does she does she have an E in there? Let me check. Is there a typo in our in our Golden Globes page or is no, it just? No, it's Coleman. It's it's, it's Coleman. Not, yeah. Okay. Uh, from the father, uh, Jody Foster. The Mauritanian. From, from Mauritanian. Uh, Amanda Seyfried. Monk. From Monk. If you're not gonna take this seriously. <laughs> Helen then, Zung, Helena Zengel, News of the World. That's a, that Tom Hanks movie. Mm, okay. Uh, I mean, kudos Helena for getting nominated. These titans. Yeah, these are definitely powerhouse powerhouse actresses. Um, I'm gonna give it to Olivia again. Sure, yeah. Why not? Why not? We'll give it to her. Big congrats to her. I honestly wouldn't just even want mind. to hear another speech. I wouldn't even mind Glenn getting it because I feel like Glenn Close gets overlooked a lot. Glenn Close, it's a it's a, a make good from her not getting nominated for her role in Hook <laughs> as the pirate thrown in the boo box. Best supporting actor, Sasha Baron Cohen, and nominated in two categories for Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes. Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. Jared Leto, The Little Things, Bill Murray on The Rocks, and Leslie O'Donnell Jr., One Night in Miami, which I still really, really want to watch. Yeah, yeah. the actor that I like from the Hulu High Fidelity is in that as well. Okay. Um, I have only seen one of these movies. I'm going to Jared Leto because he's doing <laughs> finger guns in the photograph, the <laughs> official photograph the, the that they're Globes. using for the Golden Globes. It's finger guns. Um, and so I got to go Jared Leto because he's like, vote for me. And that's, I appreciate that. Um, no, I haven't seen. I've only seen Trial of the Chicago 7. This, so. Oops, sorry. Give it to Leslie. That's what I say. Okay. All right. He's talented. He's super talented. All right. This will be this will probably be our last yeah. category here. We're gonna do best director for which, a motion picture. Uh, is, unprecedented. Three women nominated mm-hmm. in this category. Which is also interesting because the why don't they delineate between best director of a musical comedy? The Golden Globes are crazy. They do whatever they want. Um, Emerald Fennel, promising young woman. Uh, David Fincher, Mank. Monk. <laughs> Regina King, One Night in Miami, uh, Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for No Man Land. What is Aaron Sorkin looking at? Uh, it's I like it's like someone had to dangle something up yeah. there to get him to... Yeah. Uh, well, again, we've only seen two of the five films nominated here. True, true. I've only heard amazing things about One Night in Miami. Same. It's very much, I've heard it's very much an acting film for lots of performance-centric stuff. And and everything I've said is that Regina King did such an amazing job getting these stellar performances. She getting her, these shitty actors so, to finally well, put up a good performance. She herself, <laughs> be, she herself being uh, an actor, yeah. like it would make sense Absolutely. that she can bring that out. 
Um, so she knows she knows her shit essentially. Trial of Chicago Seven. It's weird because it's a movie with really um, you know heavy and important subject matter, mm-hmm. but you don't. Yeah, and, and it does feel like it's heavy to watch, mm-hmm. but it has that sort that Sorkin kind of energy to it. Oh yeah, you know. It like cuts it cuts through some of the tension a lot of times with, with yeah. some levity. I I would give it to Emerald Fennel because I think promising young woman to pull off a, st- a story like that in a movie like that in a movie where like apparently people when they read that script they were like what the hell is the tone of this movie? I think who was I? Oh, I was listening to um, Max Greenfield who's in it mm-hmm. talk about it and he was talking about how he read the script and then was like what what move kind of movie is this mm-hmm. and then met with Emerald Fennel. And was like, oh, after I spoke with her about it, I completely got it. Mm-hmm. And um, and she very was very like instrumental in in carrying that movie to be what it was. And by all accounts, it was a tough thing to to pull off. And like again, I'm like I'm still thinking about it. it we watched it, you know, months it's, ago. It's a great lens, right? Because you know, it's definitely a take on uh, believing women, and you know. Uh, a very very much it's a me too that kind of pigeonholes it but it's it's a very me too style film that deals with a lot of those issues but i think it also does a good job of showing characters and it's not like necessarily accusational in a lot of ways it's more like listen we're showing you character stuff like max greenfield's character they're like don't necessarily encounter them in real life, but they're the worst attributes of people that you do know. So you do recognize the characters when you see them. And it's that line, that blurred line of like cartoon reality. Like it's kind of like Big Mouth in a lot of ways. It is a movie that I wish was shown to like every adolescent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I Sure. Just I'll back you on this one. Emerald, give it to her. I'll give it to Emerald as well. And uh, and <laughs> I or I'd give it to Regina King. Okay. I mean, or Chloe. <laughs> All right, those okay. women. <laughs> Definitely not Aaron. <laughs> Definitely not Aaron. This is a directorial debut, I believe, right? Wasn't it? He does Aaron a, Sorkin? Yeah, I think he does a lot of writing. This is, anyway, we're clearly <laughs> the perfect people to be talking yeah. about this. Um, we have a lot of movies that we still need to watch, but when they don't come out on a weekly basis, and they just kind of drop wherever, and then you have to go dig them up, um, it's kind of hard to do, but we're... Uh, we're we're going to get catch up on some of these movies. I, I did this quiz recently where it had like 30 different streaming platforms listed mm-hmm. and you had to guess which ones were real and which ones were fake. And I think I got like half right. I'd love to do that quiz. It was, it was really fun. All right. Well, anyway, thank you so much. A little bit different this week. Kind of just the uh, Elise and James uh, entertainment, world entertainment recap. If you're out there with the cable news channel and you want us to do this every single week for you, make sure to let us know. <laughs> um, we're happy to do it. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody for watching. Thank you everybody for listening. We're hoping, not going to promise, but against we're hope. hoping that next week we'll have something a little special for you. What does it mean to hope against hope? It means that you're going to make it happen, right? You're what not going to rely on hope. What do we have that's special? We might have a very a fun little episode thing that we're going to be doing next week. Um, and then, until then, it's just waiting for the Snyder Cut. <sighs> baby. Oh, baby. Four hours. So many cuts. Or something like that. Anyway, thank you guys so much for watching and listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Filmhouse. Good <laughs> air. <laughs> <Yeah. Go> <laughs>